Good morning, Westminster. Let's uh, turn in God's Word to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, when I was a kid, I read uh, a lot, and uh, a lot of Mark Twain. I, I loved reading The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I mean, you name it. Uh, Twain was such a great storyteller, and, and so much of what he uh, wrote was just drenched in Twain wit. But, but sometimes uh, he wrote more sober kinds of stories. And oftentimes they were based on some of the encounters that he had as he traveled the world. At one point in his life, he was uh, near bankruptcy, and so he agreed to do this worldwide lecture tour. And he ends up on the island of Mauritius, just off the coast of Africa, where he encounters the story of an old African medicine man who has this secret cure for a rare children's disease that he doesn't share with anyone else. He's the only one on the island who has it. And so when parents are desperate uh, for their children to have this cure, they come to this medicine man, they beg him to get it, and he willingly does so. But he doesn't share the, the secret of this herbal medicine. And, and so near the end of this African medicine man's life, uh, the islanders become fearful that he will not share uh, the secret of this medicine. And so what's going to happen then to uh, their dying children? Those who survive this medicine man won't survive the disease. In First uh, John, we have uh, a very similar scenario, and yet with a very different outcome, a, a very generous outcome. Uh, John is the last surviving apostle. And he's writing 50 to 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to churches in and around Ephesus. And as a part of what he's doing, he's not holding back the mystery of the life-saving message of the gospel. He is sharing it willingly. And in doing so, he's sharing so many of the basics, the essentials of the Christian life. And, and one of those basics is joy, uh, which is something that uh, we could use a little more of uh, right now as you understand in your own gut. I mean, you feel it like, like all of us do. I read an article just a few days ago that cited a Gallup poll taken very recently that, that said uh, since the fall, since just a few months ago, uh, the level of joy in this country has gone down 20 percentage points. Now, that didn't surprise me. I mean, we get it with everything going on. That, that shouldn't surprise us. But uh, the journalist's answer to this lack of joy did surprise me because he got it pretty close to right. Here was his answer. Relationships, relationships, relationships. That's very close to the answer that John will give us this morning. He calls it fellowship. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in the very first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, uh, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you that the Bible is so real and acknowledges that we uh, have struggles with experiencing the kind of joy you want for us. And so today, help us, Lord, to have ears to hear that we may know this joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, why did John write these things? Well, the answer is very clear. So that our joy may be complete. Now, our joy means John's joy. Remember, he's the writer, but he's writing as a representative of the apostles. So it's John and the apostles' joy. But he's also writing so that our joy, the recipients of this letter in his day, and now the readers of this letter in our day, may also have that joy. In other words, so that all of our joy may complete. The apostle may be complete. The apostles and our joy. Now, I'm not going to try to define this joy right now because what I would rather have happen is that you get a sense of that joy, exactly what this is as we go through this passage. But I do want to say this. No one ever walked the face of this earth with more joy than Jesus Christ. And yet he was a man of sorrows, we're told, and acquainted with grief. So somehow our understanding of this joy has to take that on board. Somehow this joy that John wants us to have, that Christ wants us to have, must be able to kind of coexist with difficult circumstances in life. And so, how is this possible? Well, again, the answer is fellowship. That is what brings us joy. It is fellowship with, with God. I mean, the, the story of the Bible is about this fellowship. It is, it is about God's amazing desire to be with us. Now, now, stop and think about that for a moment. The God who created all of this, the universe, the God who set the stars in their place, the God who restrains the ocean so that the waves never go one inch beyond what He allows, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb so that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is this God who wants to be with you. It is this God who wants to know you in a very deep, in a very rich way. In verse 1, the very first words of John's letter, that which was from the beginning, those words remind us of the very first words in John's gospel. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so the point being from the, from the get-go is that uh, Jesus, the man, the God who we call Jesus, has always been. He has always existed. But, but the beauty of this is not just that He exists and always has. It's not just that He's out there somewhere. It's that He has come to us. As John puts it in verse 2, he was made manifest to us. He revealed himself to us by coming to be with us on this earth. And, and as we see in verse 1, the apostles heard him speak. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. They heard Jesus say words of life. They, they saw him with their own eyes. They saw him bring healing, and they touched him with their own hands. I mean, he, he, he really does exist. They, they can vouch for that fact, and he really has come to us. And he's done so for, for one main reason, and that is to bring us eternal life. Eternal life is what Jesus gave to the apostles and what they now proclaim to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. But, but here's the question that I want to ask you, that, that we all have to ask ourselves. And it may be the most important question we ever ask ourselves. Here it is. What is eternal life? Think about that. How would you answer that? If someone comes up to you, they've heard about this thing called eternal life, they want to know what it is, how would you answer them? Well, what I want to do for just a, a moment or so is, is to begin to answer the question, what is eternal life, by giving you four things that it is not. First... Eternal life is not what begins after this life. Eternal life is an eternal kind of life that begins in this life. Second, eternal life is not simply knowing and holding orthodox opinions on Christian teaching. Orthodoxy is essential, of course. There, there are essential beliefs that we glean from Scripture that we must believe as followers of, of Christ. But, but to hold right views, to subscribe to right doctrine, even to be gifted defenders of right doctrine does not make someone a Christian. Uh, that is not eternal life. Uh, so let me kind of drill down on that for a moment. The, uh, you know, let me put it this way. It is not enough simply to believe that your sins are forgiven by the death of Christ. Because your belief may be nothing more than an intellectual opinion. Third, uh, eternal life is not simply following the example of Christ. I mean, yes, we are to follow. But Christians are not just people who follow the, the principles and, and the practices of, of Jesus. Just because someone is good does not mean that they have found God. Fourth, 
Eternal life is not simply having a significant emotional experience. So what is eternal life? Well, John answers that for us in verse 4. Fellowship. It is fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And the same apostle in his gospel gives us a very clear definition. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So someone who has entered into eternal life then, someone who is a true follower of Jesus Christ, is someone who is able to say, truly, I have fellowship with my heavenly Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is so much more than simply knowing a lot about God or simply following the example of God or simply having some kind of emotional experience. I want to try to bring that home because this is so important. I think so many people are deceived and believe they have experienced and have now eternal life, but don't really because they fall short of this fellowship that is the very definition of eternal life. So, so let me, again, try to bring this home with an analogy. Uh, for my Ph.D., I wrote a biography on a man named William Cunningham. Uh, he was a 19th century Scottish theologian, died in 1861. And uh, no lie, when I finished uh, the biography, I was then referred to in that little world as the world's expert on William Cunningham. Now, that's a fancy title, it just meant that I gave more of my life learning about this man, researching this man, than perhaps anyone else ever has. And I do know an awful lot about him. I mean, I read almost everything he wrote and uh, almost everything written uh, about him. So I went through newspaper clippings. I went through his books and through his journal articles. I, I went uh, through magazine articles. I, I went through session records and presbytery records and general assembly records. I mean, I read it all. And at the end of that time, I knew so much uh, about him that I could honestly say, there are things I know about William Cunningham that no one else living in the world today knows, unless they've read my work. And I can say that he changed my life. I mean, some of the things I believe now and some of the things I do, I owe to the example of William Cunningham. And one more thing. You know, I spent years of my life studying this man, and when it got time for his funeral, when he died in 1861, and, and the streets of Edinburgh were lined for miles with people on, on both sides, I wanted to, to be there and, and to wave goodbye. You know, after learning so much about his contributions to the advancement of God's kingdom on this earth, it was an emotional experience for me to, to read about his death and his funeral, and, and then, quite frankly, to go visit his graveside in Edinburgh and, and just to say thank you. 
I know as much as can possibly be known about William Cunningham. I can even say that he changed my life, and I've had an emotional experience uh, that uh, I still remember. But here's the thing. I don't know William Cunningham, and he doesn't know me. Do you really know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ? Can you truly say, I enjoy rich fellowship with God? Can you, like Abraham, say, I am a friend of God? Or like Enoch, say, I I walk with God. Can you say about God? God, what what David said about his friend Jonathan, I, I, I love him as much as I love my own soul. You know, when you get up in the morning, do you look forward to spending the day with God? Not necessarily in doing different things, but in doing normal things in a different way with God. When you eat a meal, are you grateful that you have what you need for life? Do you thank God for providing for you? And Uh, When you enjoy a really spectacular meal, do you delight in the God who gives such good gifts to his children? You know, when you work, whether at home or at school or at the office or on the road, do you ask God for wisdom to do your job really well? And when you sense that what you're doing matters, Do you thank God for giving you significant work to do? When you hear a moving piece of music or watch a stirring film, do you rejoice in the God who puts his own creative abilities into us? The bottom line is, can you truly say, I fellowship with God? So what about joy? How does this joy relate to fellowship with God? Well, there are so many answers to that. Certainly, in experiencing the the nearness of God as you go through the day, your everyday events, as I've just been talking about. But there's something else I want to point out this morning. If you look closely at this passage... If you see that it's God who came to us and not the other way around, then you'll see that the story of the Bible isn't primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's about the desire of God to be with people. And when you take that on board, it really brings joy. I want to show you that uh, so that hopefully uh, even in these moments this morning you can experience a bit of the joy of our salvation the joy of fellowship with God Uh, years ago I met a a man named John who's just a delightful Christian and uh, he he told this story he was on a plane with uh, businessman seated right beside him and and the businessman had his computer open and on the screensaver was a picture of this little one-year-old toe-headed boy 
uh, taking his first kind of faltering steps. And so John said, is that your son? Well, that was a, a big mistake because this businessman then said yes and spent the rest of the flight telling John about his son, his little one-year-old, and showing him pictures. I mean, they were pictures on his computer all through it. They were pictures on his cell phone. And he went through almost every one of them with commentary. And when he began to talk about his son, taking those first steps, speaking those first words. There was such a sense of wonder in, in this father's voice that it seemed as though his, his little son had invented walking and talking. I cannot wait to get home to him. This man said to John, in the meantime, I could look at these pictures a hundred times a day. They just never get old to me. Now, why do you think this man was so preoccupied with his son? I mean, was it because this son's achievements were so fantastic? Well, well, no. I mean, millions of children around the world do the same kinds of things every day. The, the man was preoccupied with his son because he looked at him through the eyes of a father. Everything his son did was cloaked with wonder. It didn't matter that other children do the same kinds of things. And John finally said, you obviously miss your son. How long ago did you leave him? Yesterday. One day away from his son was one too many. And so he was rushing through the skies, determined to be at home with his child. He didn't simply want to love his son from a distance. He wanted to be with him. As John later reflected on that story, he said, Then it hit me, I am the child on God's screensaver. And so are you. The tiniest detail of our lives never grow old to our God. God himself is filled with wonder at our faltering steps and our stammering words. Not because we do them so much better than anyone else, but because he views them through the eyes of a loving father. The Bible is, first of all, God's story. The story of a father rushing through the clouds to be at home with you. One day apart from you is one day too many. You know, when I think about the, the passionate desire of God to be with me, I not only marvel at it, but it fills me with this sense of joy as I hope it does you. It is hard to believe, isn't it? But what joy to know that our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, wants to be with us. And when I think beyond that, the price that our God was willing to pay so that He could be with us, it, it increases my joy even more. For God so loved the world you and me, 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, fellowship with God the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. And that is reason for great joy. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for wanting to be with us. We marvel at that. It's hard for us to understand because we know at least a glimpse of what we're like and, and who we are. And yet we're your child. And you long to be with us and you marvel at us because we're made in your image and because you're our Father. And so, Lord, may we during this season especially draw near to you as you have come near to us. And may we experience that rich fellowship that is called eternal life that we may know a joy that nothing in this world can possibly take from us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.